Welcome to the Vet Podcast by the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Get ready for the latest veterinary news, information and entertainment. Don't forget to visit us at the Vet Gurus website, vetgurus.com. Now, sit back, relax, it's over to the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Brendan here with Mark, vetgurus.com, episode 200. And 4240 Friday, May the 6th, May 6th, 2022. Another month, Mark, another month has gone by, flown by, and we're still here. We're still I'm well. great, Brendan. We're just still podcasting, fantastic. Mark. I'm, Kate and I have travelled to Kangaroo Island, and I've just been looking at the glossy black cockatoos, the rare uh, Kangaroo Island subspecies, and i um, pleased to report that... Um, we found them relatively easily, and uh, and they look pretty healthy. The ones we saw, so I'm good. Excellent. I'm looking forward to a picture or two, Mark. So send one over. I presume I did get a couple of photographs, some pics of them. Did you? <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. Um, well, I wish I was in Kangaroo on Kangaroo Island, Mark. And as usual, I'm very jealous. Plugging away at work here, although we've got a few days off, which we might talk about next podcast. We won't jump into that at the moment. Where I'm heading off for a little, a little journey, a little trip, a little getaway for a few days. But we'll have a bit of a chat because it's a place you went to fairly recently as well. So we might talk about that next week or the week after that. Um, 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 um Mark. Um, lots of arms, and we're going to talk about that shortly. But first, vetgurus.com is the place to go. Send an email to us, vetgurus at gmail.com, and say hi. And I think we wanted to have a bit of a chat about one of the emails that we received this week, which was an excellent one. And it's good to see people who are frank in their comments and or criticisms, whether they be positive or negative, Mark. And we had one from Chris from Victoria in Canada, Mark, and he had some interesting comments about our podcast. And um, thanks, Chris, for letting us know your thoughts on it. And I think Mark will run through, and I will too, some of our thoughts on on your um, comments there. And um, I like the way, Chris, you've um, outlined uh, the summary of what we what our podcast talks about uh the first bit you mentioned light-hearted entertainment tick we've got a tick for that mark good he says pace painfully painfully <laughs> slow mark painfully slow our pace fluff factor practical information we have a high fluff factor which i'm actually quite proud of and we'll talk about that certainly in a few minutes mark Intellectual value, titles sound like they should be, according to Chris, and the practical ap- application. I think he's marking as like a him. <laughs> I don't know whether we've passed our exam or not, Mark. Um, uncertain practical application because he never got to actually listen to the content because our pace was too slow. And one of his recommendations, and he's thank, thank you. Chris, for your recommendations, which we may or may not follow, speed up the pace or delivery by at least 1.5 times. And a little tip for you, Chris, um, the easiest way to do that is just hit the 1.5 buy button on your podcast. And I must admit that the podcast 
little app I have on my phone, it has a sort of an AI-generated pace uh, button delivery and it uh, basically speeds up people when they're talking very slow and it slows them down a little bit if they're talking very fast and it works very well and it removes some of the little gaps as well with the mark. So, so that's one thing you can do, Chris. And I suppose my first comment regarding that comment from Chris would be that we do have a lot of people who love our podcast for the fact it is very conversational uh, and it's the typical comment I always remember is it's like we're at a pub with Brendan and Mark sitting next to them and listening to their private conversation and our debrief um, for the week so we don't want to be like other podcasts where it's super snappy and sharp and almost formal, I suppose. Um, So I think it's getting a bit of a balance, isn't it, Mark, between having something that's a bit too conversational and slow for people like Chris who want it to be more snappy and also removing some things that we shouldn't be doing um, as we're podcasting, which includes all our ums and ahs, Mark, and having it just right as far as our conversation and our sort of pub-side manner, Mark. Um, Do you want to take... Here's an extra little comment. Thanks. We genuinely value that uh, feedback. We do want to make sure that um, we're uh, trying to not say too many ums. I'm conscious of it now. Um, we do want to make sure that we're talking about things as productively and quickly as possible and making sure people are happy to listen to us. And we appreciate the constructive criticism. Um, get to the unique reason people go to the podcast within the first three minutes. Um, uh, For example, the rabbit nasolacrimal duck flushing. But I think part of the trick with podcasts is to use the really interesting bit um, to keep people um, listening to our conversational part, the stuff we're interested in and debriefing about. So so we apologise that we dangle it at the end uh like bait like clickbait but um but yeah hopefully it works for most people um uh, but we take on board maybe we need to be a bit snappier i know i'm the brendan is constantly on my case as i'm the anchor in this team i'm the one that drags us down and stretches out the length of the podcast so um, i accept a greater share of the blame for these problems than brendan well, I think it's 50-50, Mark. You've been too kind on yourself. But I agree, Chris, that we need to be a little bit more snappy and it would be good if we could remove some of our ums and ahs. And part of that is that we, it is like that pub conversation where we are thinking out loud and we're musing on on the particular subject we're chatting about. So it isn't particularly scripted. Um, whereas when both of us have spoken nationally and internationally and formal meetings we have with different organisations, um, I think you would find that we are rarely saying um and ah during those more formal talks because we're a bit more cognisant of the fact we need to not do that compared with our conversational style. And yes, Mark, I agree totally with you, the fact that we, we do like to have our little chit-chat at the start. And again, we do have contact from our listeners and subscribers who say we love the whole five or ten minute or 15 minutes sometimes little chat about what you've both been up to over the last week or whenever and uh, 
we have others who say, I hate that, and I just fast forward um, to the content because all I want is that content. So the beauty of a recording like a podcast is you can do either of those. So we encourage you to play with it. Um, it's not we you, we won't examine you. We'll, we interestingly enough, we we can look at the statistics and see whether or not a person has played through the whole podcast. It's anonymized, so we can't see if you know Brendan looked at it the whole or listened to the whole podcast or not. However, um, generally, um, we have a, a good percentage of people who do listen to the whole podcast compared with the, the averages. So, you know, I'm pretty happy with that and I think that's a positive thing. But we will try not to arm and ah and we'll try to be a li- little bit more snappy. And, yes, Chris, we thank you for your podcast comments and don't um, – he had a couple of little paragraphs at the end that he was a little bit worried that he was – Criticising us, and that we would take it to heart, and we uh, would. That's right. Um, don't worry. And yes, we were trying to be a little bit more punchy and get to the point a little bit quicker, which means I am going to jump into my news story, Mark, and it's a very quick one. It's about ferrets, which works out very well for this particular main topic as well, doesn't it? And it's nothing new, but it's good to see a study that confirms what we've been banging on about for ages, Mark. Tunnels and scent trails are beneficial to ferret welfare. It was a study that was undertaken by a team of researchers from the Royal Veterinary College in the UK, which found that ferrets enjoy scent trails and they enjoyed prey animal scents and herbs and spices among some of their preferred smells, and wide tunnels and digging and human interaction were very good for them. The interesting thing I found with this short report, Mark, is that conversely they found that rubber toys, narrow tunnels, and certain fabrics such as fleece and towels were ineffective leading to stress, injury, and even potentially aggressive behaviour. So I found that quite in- interesting. It was mainly based on uh, a, on an online questionnaire they shared with ferret owners, zoos and lab and rescue centres and pest control um, s- sector, uh, and they had 750 responses and 15% reported to provide scent trails only. So they suggest that they should be increasing that. And it's something we've spoken about sev- several times, many times, isn't it, Mark, as far as environmental enrichment? We really bang on about it all the time, and it's good to see a little study proving that and one specific for a particular species. It's excellent, we, too, that it gives see. some guidance as to some of the things that might be healthier um, and some of the things that might not be the sorts of things that we will regularly see ferrets brought in um, cages that that have a bedding, a a fleecy towel or whatever, and you can see the ferrets happy to hide. But but we definitely do see uh, some aggressive behaviours between ferrets that are trying to to get into that sort of hide. So maybe that's something to leave out of the environmental enrichment for ferrets and focus on those big, broad tunnels. And the, and the odours, they they definitely are a species that um, focuses on the, the smells in their environment. They're an olfactory-focused species, and it's, it comes as no surprise that prey animal scents and herbs and spices all add to the 
enrichment of their environment. Yes. Excellent. I what do you have for us, a, Mark? It's an interesting article. Uh, the title, it's uh, done by Deborah Jackson uh, in the Pet Industry News. A vegan diet has been discovered to be the healthiest and least harmful choice for dogs. Um, and the University of Winchester has done some research which suggests that a nutritionally sound vegan diet provides better health outcomes for pet dogs. Um, I'm fascinated by this uh, wellness study. I'm fascinated, first of all, by its size. It involved 2,639 dogs. Um, and secondly, uh, it's... it's uh, has a lot of uh, the information is provided by the dog owners information about their dogs what they were fed the diets they were fed and information about seven general indicators of health uh, that the owners then provided to the researchers and the owners were asked there to report their opinion of their dog's health and what they believe their vet's assessment to be so the the outcome the ultimate outcome was there were sort of three broad categories the the raw diets raw meaty bones raw meat based diets traditional meat based pet foods commercial pet foods um and uh the uh, vegan diets and the nutritionally sound vegan diets and pooled evidence suggested quite significantly the the what were the numbers uh 49% of the conventional uh, diet, meat diets produced dogs that health, had health disorders, 43% from the raw meat diets, and 36% from the vegan diets. Um, I, the only thing I would say about this, Brendan, is that, that I don't know that this research provides clear uh, evidence, direct evidence, that the diet is... The, the reported results, the things that the owners say and the opinions they have are directly caused by feeding the dog that food, that there may be a degree yes. of uh, a bias associated with the people who feed vegan diets may expect better outcomes or may interpret things in a different way. I'd be very interested to see the details of the study in that regard. Yes, and I think they hinted at that with mentioning that maybe a link with obesity with some of the non-vegan diets and that perhaps the people who are feeding the vegan diets to their pets have pets that aren't percentage-wise as overweight as the, as the ones on the non-vegan diet. So maybe they exercise their pets and are more, are more apparent that they're looking at their, their pet's overall health, Mark. Um, so we need more studies, don't we? We need more studies. But it's got an interesting little study there, um, perhaps a little bit of clickbait with that title there, Mark, Vegan Diets Are Healthier and Safer for Dogs. <laughs> perhaps it's not quite as clear-cut, yes. Um, it, it, it may not be quite as clear-cut as that, so yes. Interesting. Perhaps we'll have a follow-up at some stage, I'm sure, um, with that one. So let's jump into the main topic this week, Mark, and it's another fairly short and sharp one or, or a narrow focus topic, which I think our listeners tend to prefer, and that's sarcoptic mage in ferrets and one that's close to our our ferrets and our hearts here, Mark, because we see a fair percentage of them and I'd be interested in your thoughts on it because it's something that's very 
occasionally or, or regarded as unusual. As far as occurrence in, in ferrets, pet ferrets, outside of Australia, we certainly see it more frequently than most of our overseas colleagues, Mark. So, And there's a few reasons for that, I think. So, But let's jump into the start of it. What is it caused well, the, by Mark's sarcoptic um, range in Sarcoptiform mites, sarcoptes scabii, infects, inhabits the skin and particularly seems to have a preference for the, the pads of the uh, digits and so the, uh, the ferrets end up with... Um, Oh, horrible crusty feet caused by the sarcoptic mange mite. Yeah, so it's the same sarcoptic scabi that we may be seeing in our in our other pet small mammals like our dogs. It's exactly the same species there. And the classic signs for this that, that I see in practice with a client bringing in their ferret is my ferret has sore feet and the lay term for it is called here in Australia, and I think it's the same overseas, it's called, um, what is it called? I've gone blank again, but it is called, uh, I'll come back to it. I'm going to do ums and ahs, so we'll come back to it. So what we see with them is they struggle to walk on those feet. Some of them are so bad that they almost fold in their feet over there, and we have these incredibly horrible crusty bits over their pads but also on the nails and it's sometimes hard to visualize individual nails because they're covered in all these encrustations and we end up with some pretty nasty nail bed infestations or in, in, um, infections and even nails come in away completely with them so it's a ferret that's just struggling to walk or it's got these brown really dark brown um Encrustations was, was para, on their feet. Para, para, um, para, para How that common is it? Well, uh, no. But that's what it is. It's this huge word, amount. But it wasn't of, the word I was looking production for. Production of keratin in, and the, like you said, the feet will almost never be in the normal position. They'll rock back on their heels, as it were, or even roll over to avoid putting pressure on the very sore bases of their feet with all that um, thickened brown keratin. Yes, and the lay term, <laughs> I remember it now, is foot rot um, is the lay term for it, um, the mange, foot rot in ferrets. Yeah, and I, I always remember a particular ferret that was a, a mature ferret, it was several years of age, that I saw as a second opinion case, and this ferret had had such severe psychoptic mange for those several years that the owners thought that was normal for a ferret, the way it was unable to um, place its feet normally, and, and it was... Um, turned over those feet on the and the dorsal surface of the f all four feet was how it was walking so it was incredible they didn't realize that that was abnormal because it was so sore with it so we have these crusty feet mark um plus or minus now, in, in other places around uh, in other places around how the common world, is it if you saw a ferret with crusty feet like this brendan you might be led to think of some other disease i i, I dare say yeah well the one, I suppose you, you, you're hinting out there is distemper, I presume, but the look of it is completely different in my opinion. Yeah, they get inflamed foot pads, the classic sort of distemper, um, inflamed foot pads, but with the psychoptic scabia, the psychoptic mange, it is these horrible, horrible encrustations, these brown encrustations on, on the feet there. And we'll have a picture of it at the website, vetgurus.com 
relating to this particular episode. So you see how pretty dramatic it is. And once you've seen it, one, you'll never forget it um, with them. So they're the main signs we see with them. Um, sorry, Mark. Um, occasionally, we I, I see a ferret that's also just just not quite right. It's it's sti- it's sore. It, it's painful with some of them, and it may be a ferret that's just miserable. It does seem to be. It does seem to be particularly common. Treatment-wise, Mark. You mentioned that. You see it quite regularly, and that's been my experience as well. And it's always a shock to talk to overseas colleagues and realise that um, they're not seeing it at nearly the frequency, sometimes not at all, that we do uh, here in Australia. Um, Do you think there's a a reason for that, Brendan? Do you have a theory about why we see this uh, differently than maybe elsewhere? Yes, we're the world leaders, aren't we? In foot, right in ferrets, Mark. I'd be proud to say. And if you look in the textbooks and the publications, you know the Pink Book uh, and the classic textbooks for small mammals, you'd be lucky to find one paragraph on this particular condition, even though we see it quite commonly. Yes, the reason why I think it is so much more common here is the way it's potentially transmitted to them and and one of the primary ways of it being transmitted to a ferret is through contact with another species that does have the mange there. And here in Australia, the, the obvious ones there are ferrets that are used as working ferrets. So they are they are flushing the the rabbits out of rabbit burrows etc by um, putting the ferrets down the burrows and the ferrets are getting into contact with areas that not only the rabbit has been in the warrens but also where there's been wombats and foxes um, because they can be carriers of the psychoptic mane so they're um, it's a fairly common presentation with those working ferrets mark with with and you if if, if you see owners of working ferrets they they'll often routinely be treating uh, their ferrets for psychoptic mange as a preventative um, because they're seeing it so so often there mark and i think one of the other reasons why we see it more often is is the uh, is the uh, conditions environmental conditions as well um that we have i, do, in I think you're Would exactly you like right i think the working them? ferret and our um, beautiful sunshine which allows the uh, much more free-roaming lifestyle, and sometimes uh, some of our ferret owners will have the ferret indoors for part of the day or part of the week and and have an outdoor enclosure. So our very fair weather allows us to um, leave those animals outside much more, and so they come into contact, as you said, with foxes or uh, wombats uh, carrying the Maybe I reckon there might be a difference in the pathogenic uh, pathogenicity of various uh, sarcoptic mites as well. I think sometimes um, those ones that knock the wombats mm. around, they seem to be particularly nasty beasties, uh, uh, same species, but uh, maybe there's uh, strains with variable pathogenicity. Um, so, what do you do? How do you, what treatment do you recommend for these, Brendan? Yes, well, the good news is we can go from zero to hero pretty quickly with psychotic mange. It's one of these great conditions or illnesses or parasitic infections that we can cure, Mark. And it's sort of a two or three part process with treating these. It, it's the, the obvious first thing is getting rid of that parasite. 
both on the, on the patient there on the ferret, but also doing some environmental cleaning as well. And it's treating any sort of secondary issues that we have with the patient there. So I might jump into the second bit first, and that's um, a fair number of these, especially with the more moderate to severe ones. It's pretty damn sore, those feet, once you look at them, and they're very hyperemic and inflamed, and some of them are even bleeding once you sort of pick off some of that crusty bit that's on those, those um, feet or those nails or the nails pull apart, pull away uh, when you gently touch them there. So often analgesia is indicated with them and, and typically I'll just be placing them on a course of meloxicam because it seems to work quite well based as a pain reliever and an analgesic in the ferrets. Secondly, bathing the feet I've found um, greatly enhances the treatment protocol in that it, it decreases the time from from um, zero to hero with the mark. So instead of just treating them with the parasiticide, if you and I typically will sedate the ferrets to do this because it can be uncomfortable for them and then commence that pain relief, I gently bathe off all those encrustations and just physically removing all of that and removing any of those horrible nails that are about to fall off um, greatly enhances the um, the the efficacy of the parasiticide and, and how quickly it does respond to it. So I often recommend bathing them. And I just use, um, I'll be interested to see what you use if you do bathe those feet of all those gunji bits. It's, it's, um, I just use dilute chlorhexidine, typically um, warm dilute chlorhexidine with them. Um, and then the actual parasite treatment, my treatment of choice for them is is usually just selamectin mark at, at ferret dose rates, which is a lot higher than, than dogs or cats. Um, and we're not going to mention the dose, the actual dose rate here, as we don't typically do that in the podcast. You can look it up in your vet, veterinary textbooks there. And I usually go with two treatments, um, maybe three, um, two weeks apart, mark is enough. The other one that's commonly mentioned or, or recommended is ivermectin or, or one of the avermectins for them. And again, it's very effective for them. It's essentially so unsurprisingly essentially the same. I, I do have a bit of a preference for a keratolytic shampoo, maybe one of the the ones that contains, um, uh, um, what's the zinc? The active ingredient slips my mind at the moment, uh, selenium sulfide or... Um, uh, um, a zinc containing one, but um, but I think your ninety yes. percent of the result comes about from softening and um, using an antiseptic and breaking away those dead, thickened pieces of keratin, and I think that markedly speeds the process up. You're correct. I do like to consider a bit of analgesia, and so some of these ferrets will get a dose of meloxicam uh, with everything else, um, and um, like you. Had, uh, Selamectin is probably our first choice. I have heard, not seen, have heard uh, the potential for ivermectin to there to be some resistance to some of the uh, more longer-standing ivermectins, ivermectin in particular. But I haven't seen that with ferrets. Um, but selamectin is so good because you know ferrets are vulnerable to heartworm. They do get fleas, um, and certainly it prevents the the uh, the trouble they have with sarcoptes in their feet. Yes. I suppose the only other comment I would make, Mark, is occasionally if the feet are an absolute disaster, it may be worthwhile placing the ferret on a, an antibiotic course 
as well. And I choose those cases carefully. A fair number of them, even with the moderate encrustations, don't require it, but some of them, they just look so inflamed and obviously have secondary um, infections there, then I may cover them with a, a week or so course of, a, of an antibiotic that we commonly use in ferrets as well. And, yeah, um, I agree totally with your other comments there. What about environmental Put cleaning? All down. What's your recommendation? <laughs> Be very thorough. Um, remove all the bedding, um, uh, the... Um, sunlight exposure. Um, there was a time when we would spray uh, permanent uh, environmental enclosure fixtures with uh, insecticides, uh, uh, caricides, um, and probably I would continue to consider doing that. But it's mainly the the uh, bedding that I worry about the most, and so we just dispose of it and start afresh. Yep, and I think longer term. Yes, longer term, especially with those working ferrets, having a chat to the owner about the way they house their ferrets and where they're they're shoving their ferrets, what holes they're shoving their ferrets down and whether or not we want to think about strategic sort of prophylactic treatment with these products. And, you know, one of the common reasons why somebody may be using Salamectin regularly in a ferret is a, is a heartworm prevention as well, Mark. So they might be using it as a monthly heartworm prevention and they're getting the added bonuses, helping prevent or, or treat um, psychotic mange as other, well. There's a couple of other conditions, conditions which we'll talk well. about in other so podcasts overall, that um, that uh, Selamectin helps with in ferrets. But we'll leave that for another time, Brendan. Yes, yes. So the good news is, as I mentioned the prognosis is excellent for these and uh, you end up they're so satisfying these and um, I just love treating these because you see the ferret try and walk in the clinic (laughs) with those mite infested feet and it two weeks later at the revisit it's dramatically playing when they come in in two weeks time they're playful yes yes so it's uh it's a smiles all round, Mark, isn't it, for the um, mite treatment in them? But I'd I'd be very interested if um, any of our overseas subscribers or listeners have any experience with mange, psychoptic mange in their ferrets that they're seeing. And uh, drop us a line, vetgurus at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. And I think with that, Mark, we're out of here and we'll talk to you all next week. for listening to the vet podcast by the vet gurus don't forget to visit us at the website vetgurus.com where you can subscribe view show notes listen to previous episodes and more you can contact us via email at vetgurus at gmail.com to ask a question or just say hi thanks again and see you next time